82 years, that's a long time. Uh, as I look across this room, I, uh, I don't think any of us were alive, not a one. Uh, maybe Ed. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, 82 years is a long time to be ministering in, in, in a county in the name of Jesus for the salvation of the lost, for the transformation of families and hearts and lives. 82 years. You ever thought about where this church would be 82 years from now? Where will this church be 50 years from now? Uh, I want to tell you that <clears throat> it's between the years, between year 75 and 100 that the majority of churches close their doors. We're heading into that very time frame when most churches close their doors. There was a church in New York, and they had on the front door, it said, out of business, we didn't know what our business was. Isn't that interesting that... Uh, they faced that tragedy. They didn't know that they were there to share the gospel, that they were there to transform lives. If you've been in New York City, you can actually go into these massive uh, cathedrals from 200 years ago and rent an apartment. They don't worship there anymore. They've converted them to apartments because all the worshipers left. Uh, it's a sad thing, but 82 years is a, is a wonderful testimony of what God has done and the fact that God has a plan for your life and your families and the people of this county. Uh, 82 years ago, I think it was a lot smaller population-wise. That means we've got our jobs cut out for us because there are people that are moving in that have been born here, that will be born here in the coming years, that they need to know about Jesus Christ and they need to know about God's plan for their life and they need to know before it is too late. And I shared a couple of weeks ago about an evangelist telling the uh, people, he said, I'll tell you next Sunday night how you can be saved. And that week was the great fire of Chicago, and they never were able to gather that next Sunday night. And he repented before the Lord, and he said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I put off to another day what I could have and should have done right then. And the reality is, is there are people right here that are our neighbors that we go to school with, that we go to work with, that we shop at Harps with, that we, we pass on the highway, and they have difficulties. They have frustrations. They have um, uh, guilt or shame or bondage, and we have the answer. We have the answer from the Lord Jesus himself, just as much as if Jesus were to walk in here with sandals on his feet and the robe on him like he walked around with the disciples. We have the answers because the answers have been given to us by the Lord himself, written down, recorded, and then spoken to us by his Holy Spirit. And so 82 years, and I believe 80 or 100 or more to go, right? And that will take us being committed to the plan of God, being committed to the commissioning of God, <clears throat> being committed to obey all that God says to us. Um, I've often thought about this because um, uh, I'm a planner and I like to lay things out. <clears throat> and so uh, sometimes I might track on my phone, uh, sometimes, that's the qualifying word, uh, on my phone uh, the calories that I've eaten in a given day. And then I'll track it for a whole week or two weeks, because based upon each little calorie that I put in my body, they add up to a bunch of calories, and at the end of the week, the pants fit bigger or smaller, right? And uh, my calorie tracker tells me that based on five calories here and five calories there and five calories there, that if I don't stop, then I'm going to be wearing 
a different size pant next year and the year after and the year after because based on a lot of little choices, it adds up to something much bigger. That same thing is true in the life of the church. The same thing is true in the life of your own Christian experience and walk with the Lord. Your little choices add up to something much bigger. Right? And so I want you to think about, based on how much you read the Bible now, where will you be in 10 years? Based on how much you pray now, where will you be in 10 years? Based on how much we evangelize now the lost as a church, where will our church be in 10 years? Because if we're celebrating how God has brought us thus far, what will bring us that much further? It's a lot of little things that add up to something much bigger. What do we do today when we read our Bible and pray? What do we do today when we tell people about Jesus? What do we do today when we pray with people? Well, today I want to talk about what lies ahead. And I'm going to talk about it in three areas. What lies ahead in our lives uh, for every single person in here. And if you want to turn in Revelation, uh, we're going to look at Revelation 21 uh, as our opening verses. And then we're going to go all over the scriptures after that. Uh, So if you'll turn there, and while you're turning there, like I said, there's three things that are to come that I want to talk to you about. One is what will come at Judgment Day. The second that I want to talk about is the troubles that you're going to have in this world, and they're going to come, and you you can bet on it. And the third thing I want to talk about is the blessings and the promises that God said will come in this life and in the next. All right, so did you get that? Judgment Day, what's going to come? The troubles that will come in this world and the blessings and promises of God that will come in this world and in the next for those who will obey. So let's start in Revelation 21 and then uh, and we'll jump into this. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be uh, among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making All things new. This is the promise of God for salvation in your life and mine and what's going to happen in heaven after Judgment Day. So let's back up to 20 and see what's going to happen there at the judgment at the throne of God. In chapter 20, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." Dear Lord, we come to you and we ask you to help us understand and to receive this, your word, your warning, and your promise. We pray, Lord, that we would receive it with joy that there is available to us a wonderful, 
blessing and a great promise from you if we will believe it and receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so at the end of this message, I want you to be able to walk away with a couple of things. I want you to be able to walk away with a decision in your own heart that you're going to wholeheartedly follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because there is coming a day where we will have to stand before the throne of God and there is a judgment that will take place and the books will be opened and there will be a, a recompense that comes upon the people for what has been done in this life. And we know that Scripture is very clear on what will take place. And so it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So I want you to be able to walk away from this message with a wholehearted desire and decision in your heart that you are going to serve Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're going to accept him, you're going to believe in him, you're going to receive him by faith, and you're going to walk in obedience to him. The second thing I want you to be able to walk away from this message with is a decision that you're going to look to God and trust him no matter how things are going. We fail a lot in that category. No matter how things are going, we're going to look to God, we're going to trust Him. If it's bad, if it's good, if it's difficult, if, it's, if, if we're struggling, if we're tired, we're going to look to God and we're going to trust Him no matter what's going on. So I want you to be able to walk away from this message with the decision to do that. And then the last thing I want you to be able to do is to walk away from this message with a decision that you're going to stop doing the things that are bringing these consequences into your life and instead choose to do the things that God has said he will bless and that he will prosper in your life. So, <clears throat> let's go ahead and let's, let's look at this message um, about Judgment Day, about the troubles and the blessings. So, Judgment Day is coming, right? It's a reality. It's something we have a lot of questions about. It's a que something we have a lot of fears about. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people that stopped going to church because they got frustrated, tired, or afraid when they heard so many hellfire and brimstone messages when you were a kid, right? And some people said, I'm not going. They're just angry all the time. But the reality is, is that prophets and pastors and teachers for hundreds of years and beyond have been warning us that there's a day coming where we will have to give an accounting for what's been done in this life, whether the things that we have done for good or the things that we have done for evil. And we know that every word that is unfitly spoken, we have to give an answer for. Every idle word, we have to give an answer for. Uh, every activity, everything that we have done uh, for the Lord and, and, and for His goodness and His glory, well, guess what? That's going to be celebrated too. But the things that we have done that are against the Lord, those are going to come under judgment. I remember I was so scared of that day because I was so nervous about that replaying of my life on that big screen in heaven, right? That God would just put up on a TV everything I'd ever done and everybody who'd ever been or will be uh, that has ever been born into this world, they would see everything I'd done. And then the more I understood about what God offered of the forgiveness of our sins and the taking away as far as the east is from the west and his blood not only covering them but redeeming them and, and, and cleansing us, then I realized, you know what? The things that I'll stand before God and give an accounting for are the things that are not under the blood. In other words, you, 
you can stand before God on judgment day with a clear conscience and full assurance of your faith just as much as you can stand before God right now if you have confessed your sins, if you have turned from them and said, Lord, you can have your way in me because then the thought that you thought that you don't want anybody else to ever know, God's going to say, I'm going to put it in the sea of forgetfulness. It'll be gone forever. That attitude that you had, that activity you engaged in, that thing that you did where you deceived or you, or you cheated or you, you did something immoral, guess what? If you ask me to forgive it, I'll forgive it, I'll cleanse it, I'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. And when you stand before me on judgment day, then instead I'm going to say to you, why should I let you in? And you say, because I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation. I've asked you to forgive me and I know that you're my father. And Lord, here I am. Would you receive me? And he says, come in, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness and joy. That's biblical. There, but, but we have to believe and we can't wait till it's too late. And, and the reality is, is that many people wait because the devil says it's okay. You can get around to that later. I'll tell you the story that <clears throat> I may have shared with some of you before, but it was a man who got saved and he get, accepted the Lord into his heart, and he said, Lord, I'm going to start a new journey with you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to follow you. And, he, and he, So he stopped doing some of the things that he'd been doing previously, engaging in some of the vices and some of the th- sins that God told him. He, he was starting a new life, but his friends said to him, hey, why don't we go out and let's go drinking? <clears throat> he said, let's go drinking. He said, I can't do that. He said, I'm a Christian, and God's told me not to drink, and I'm not going to drink. He said, well, just come on and hang out with me anyway. And so he went, and he hung out with him, and he said, I'm not going to drink, but as the night went on, then he started out and he just got one drink and another. And this is the new Christian who had told his old friend that they were still friends, but he said, I'm just not going to do that. Well, one by one, he started drinking and they both got, they just got smashed. They got so drunk and they decided to go ahead and try to drive home that night anyway. And as they came up <clears throat> on an intersection, then they went through the red light and the oncoming car t-boned their car and it wasn't the new christian who died it was his friend who died he woke up in the hospital later and his pastor was visiting this new christian and he said what went on and and he told him, and he said, man, you scared us there. You were in a bad spot, and your friend died. And he, he said that <clears throat> the pastor's the one telling the story. And the pastor said that this new Christian just laid in that hospital bed and wept. He said, why are you weeping? And he said, he said because my friend died. And unless I'm wrong, he's in hell right now and not in heaven. The reality is is that we all will face a judgment day and we put it off because we think that it's out there somewhere or I'm not good enough or it's too scary or it's just something that pastors share in order to scare people. But it's the truth of the word of God that we will stand before God one day and we will give an accounting and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you be ready? That's the question. And I believe that you know in your spirit that the Lord himself is talking to you about that. Will you be ready? How can you be ready? You've just got to invite the Lord Jesus in your heart and life and begin afresh and anew. And then he says, behold, I'm making all things new.
So what's yet to come? What lies ahead? The reality is in 82 years, probably not very many of us are still going to be on earth. In 82 years, we're going to already be in eternity. And the question will be, where will you be in eternity? Well, I want to talk to you about what's going to happen between now and when you exit this life. Because like I said, the three things I want to talk to you about was what will come on Judgment Day. The second thing is the troubles in this world. This is something that is not rocket science. Matter of fact, you can look at me and you can say, Pastor, yeah, we get it. In this world, you will have trouble. But those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but I can give you my peace. I can rescue you. I can help you. I can deliver you. The psalmist himself knew that there would be trouble, and we know that David wrote some psalms, and Moses wrote some psalms, and some different men uh, of the Bible wrote some psalms. But he wrote in Psalm 22.11, God, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and it seems like there is no one to help. You're going to have trouble in this world. Matter of fact, I can probably assure you you're going to have trouble this week. Whether it's a difficult assignment at work uh, or at school, whether or not it's someone who's um, a bully in your life, someone who just seems to be impossible to get along with or to please, you're going to have trouble in this world. And Jesus did tell us that each day has enough trouble of its own, and I know you can attest to that. I think that when I talk to people, probably the most things, uh, responses that I get is that they're stressed and they're anxious about their life. I'm just stressed. I'm just working a lot. I'm just troubled. It's just a big deal. You're going to have trouble, but I want to tell you <clears throat> that God gives us a way through that trouble. He'll also give us a way out of some of the trouble, because some of the trouble we get ourselves into on our own because of foolish choices, because we're not listening to the voice of God, because we're trying to please self instead of please God. But, but he gives us a way through the trouble. He gives us a way to, to go in life through and over and around. And I want you to know that God gives us a way. The second thing I want you to know, though, about the trouble that we're going to have is that your, your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, and he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. That's scripture. It's in 1 Peter 5.8. Matter of fact, we know that the devil looks for the right opportunity to trip us up. <clears throat> I found in my own life that, God, that, that the devil will come after me and try to trip me up in one of three ways. One of the ways is that it's an area of weakness that I've got, and he seems to have figured out that I've got an area of weakness, and he tempts me in my area of weakness. Another way I've found that the devil likes to try and and tempt me and mess with me is an area that I thought I was perfectly fine in, that I had mastery over, and that there was no temptation at all for me, and I couldn't believe that all these other people had temptation in it. Because pride comes before a fall, and when I thought I had it all mastered, the devil says, oh, there we go, There's, there's a place I can try to trip him up. And then I would say the the third way that the devil will try to trip me up, this is just my own experience, is that he may try to trip me up in things that I have never even considered or or thought that would be an issue for me. So I, I know that he tries to put new stumbling blocks before us. He tries to put new obstacles before us. But the word of God says the devil looks for the right opportunity. 2 Timothy 2.26 says the devil will set snares to entrap and enslave you. You've got to be on the lookout for the snares that the enemy will trap, uh, set to entrap or enslave you. 
But we also know that the devil comes to deceive the world and there's much deception. There's much, he's the father of lies. And so we've got to be on our guard to watch out for this. Matter of fact, the devil, if he could convince us that there was no judgment day, that there was no urgency to our having to accept him or to repent, if he could convince us that, that everything was going to be all right in the end if we just loved each other, then he would be able to deceive us into believing a lot of things. And that's exactly what the devil's been trying to do. So I just want you to know what lies ahead is that in this world you'll have trouble. The devil will come to try and devour you, and difficult days will come. You'll face difficult things this year. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus was talking about the things that, that are impossible with man. He was talking about salvation, but isn't it true that there's a lot of things in your life that are impossible by yourself? That you can't get through, you can't get over, you can't get done by yourself. But Jesus said that with God all things are possible. I would also say to you that the difficult days that will come, it's kind of the nature of the journey that there's just going to be hardships. But God assures us that if we will look to him, he will bring us through it. If we look to him, if we trust him, if we obey him, he will bring us through it. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy 4, 5 says, endure hardship. Keep pressing on. Don't give up and don't give in. Well, <clears throat> I've told you about Judgment Day, and I've told you that there is a day that is prepared that we will all give an accounting, and I've told you that we've had, we will have troubles. But I also want to tell you about the promises that God has for us. The things that God has prepared for us in this life and in the next life. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Thing, These things that God has for us are things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard and have not entered the heart of man, but God has prepared for those who love him. So one of the fun discussions people like to have is what's going to be in heaven one day. When Judah and Lily were little, we talked about things that we thought might be in heaven and and they talked about maybe having a pet lion or a pet shark or different random things like that, uh, flying or, or walking down to the bottom of the ocean floor. We like to talk about what heaven could be like, how amazing it will be to be reunited with loved ones, to be with God for all eternity, to have no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. Whatever you can imagine heaven to be, it's a whole lot better. Because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's bigger, it's better, it's, it's, it's more impressive, it's more magnificent, it's more majestic, it's just mind-boggling all that God has prepared. So if you can imagine how good it can be, you're just scratching the surface of how grand it really will be. Because God is preparing that for us, because he loves us, because he wants to do these great things for us, because he wants to enter uh, have us enter into his presence and into his kingdom matthew twenty five thirty four says god has prepared a kingdom for us since the foundation of the earth ephesians 2 10 says god has prepared good works things that he has done that we can walk in them we can walk in the good works that he has prepared for us we can walk in the good things that he has blessed us with that he has uh, prepared for us we know the scripture says that he created the world to be inhabited in other words the world would not be here if he wasn't planning on creating you to live in it so when you see everest when you see um, when you see the grand canyon when you see the beach and the shoreline and and the ocean waves you can say god did that because he wanted to show me his glory he did that for me that's what the scriptures say, that God created the world to be inhabited. We also know that it says that Sabbath was made, for the man, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, 
you can say ones on Sunday or Saturday, if you take Saturday as your Sabbath, you can say, thank you, Lord, you made this day for me. You made this world for me to enjoy. You made that mountain peak for me to, gl- to look upon and give you glory. Lord, you made that ocean roll, uh, wave to roll so that I would say, thank you, Lord. You made this day for me as a day of rest. Lord, you made this for me so that I could enjoy it and give you glory. And so God has prepared these good things for those who will believe and receive. And we don't have to wait till heaven to begin enjoying those. We can begin enjoying those even now. So God has prepared these things for us, but he also has blessed us. We know that he's given us so many blessings, things that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned. Right? Matthew 13, 16 said, Blessed are we who get to hear and see what God is, uh, what God is doing. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Right? Isn't it good to be able to hear and see what God is doing? Sometimes we've talked about in Sunday school class or in private conversation about how awesome it would be to live with the disciples. Like during the day of Jesus walking around and watch Jesus do the miracles. Wouldn't that be amazing to see those miracles of Lazarus rising from the dead? See the miracle of the lame walking and the blind seeing? But we also know that we live in a day and age where we can see God working and moving. Have you ever seen somebody in your life get delivered from an addiction? Get delivered from bad habits, bad lifestyles, from shame and guilt and be transformed? If you haven't, we better start praying because God has already said he would do that for those who would believe and receive. But man, if you get a front seat view of what God can do, blessed are you. You could say, thank you, Lord, that I got to see this firsthand. Thank you, Lord. And we could start listing the miracles that we've seen firsthand, and I know you could do the same thing. The miracles of praying for somebody at the altar. So my pastor, when I was um, 21 years old and went to this one church, and my pastor there at two years old had polio. They brought him to a Nazarene healing service. They prayed for him, and the polio was gone. He had no ill effects. He had no shortening or weakening of one side or one leg over another. He had no weakening of his lungs. He was completely healed in a healing service where they prayed over him. Nazarene, um, we were talking about higher education earlier today, Trevecca Nazarene University in Nashville. The um, president of that university actually had, I believe it was his liver, that he had a liver disease, and they prayed for him, and he grew another liver. Right? How does that happen? Because it's the hand of God. It's the miracles of God. Right? I know of a lady in Texas that she had cancer, and they prayed over her, and her cancer was gone. And the doctors were afraid of getting sued because they had misdiagnosed her. And so they all came into her room and stood around her bed, and they all said, every one of them, we all want to attest the fact that she did have cancer, and now she doesn't, and we don't know what happened, but it's a miracle. We just want to say we didn't misdiagnose her. We didn't put her through the tests for no good reason. She had it, and now it's gone. And then a year later, one of those doctors who was a professed atheist called this lady. This is a Nazarene lady out of Fort Worth, Texas. Called this lady and said, I know you believe in God, and I know you believe in miracles, and I know you were healed. Well, my daughter has cancer in Florida. Would you call her and talk to her, pray with her? The atheist doctor calling the Christian lady to call his daughter, and she did and led her to Christ. When you get a front row seat to God saving someone, delivering someone, healing someone, setting someone free, Scripture says, blessed are you who has the eyes to see and the ears to hear and have that front row seat to what God is doing because God has prepared these good things for you. 
Blessed are you when you believe, even when you don't see, Jesus said. Right? He was, he was correcting doubting Thomas, which we've all been doubting Thomas at some point. And Jesus said, blessed are those who believe when they don't see. Well, I didn't see the miracle. I wasn't there with that lady in the hospital room. I wasn't there with that, that president of that university. I didn't get to see that. And Jesus says, but blessed are you if you believe even when you haven't seen. So you're blessed if you get a front row seat to see the miracles and the signs and wonders, and you're blessed if you have to walk by faith and you don't get the signs and wonders. Either way, you're blessed from God to receive something from Him that was outside of yourself, that was greater than who you are, that was a gift from God because He loves you. And Scripture says to count it all joy, James 1-2, count it all joy, consider it all joy when you encounter trials, knowing that the testing of your faith endures, produces endurance, And endurance can bring a perfect result into your life so that you lack nothing. Count it all joy when you have troubles, when you have trials. So just as much as you can count it a blessing from God when you see miracles, and you can count it a blessing from God when you haven't seen miracles but you still believe, that you can also count it a blessing from God and count it all joy when you go through hardships and difficulties, which you're going to this week or this month. And your perspective can be, you know, Lord, I know that what you're doing here is for my good and your glory. Here's, here's the bottom line. Most Christians, most Christians get themselves into trouble when they have hardships in their life, and whether they verbalize it or just think it, and they think, God, you messed up. God, you're not doing good. Because if you were doing good, I wouldn't be suffering. If you were doing good, my child wouldn't be hurting. If you were doing it right, God, then I wouldn't have this hardship in my life. Where we mess up is where we accuse God, whether in our mind or even out loud or with our actions, a God of doing ill when we know that everything that God does is good and holy and perfect and loving and we would be a a far cry ahead. We would be far distance ahead if we would just say, Lord, I know that what you're doing is for your glory And it's for my holiness that you would make me holy. So I want to count it all joy. I want to count myself blessed. Help me to see, Lord, that everything in my life is something that you're using for your glory and my good. Finally, here's where I want to bring it back around to our closing. And that is that with God, and only with God, you will overcome. With God, you will overcome. There seems to be a tremendous lack of hope in our world. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that not only are they stressed and anxious, they are despairing. They're depressed. They're going through the motions. They don't have much meaning or purpose. They feel like they're alone. They feel like they're rejected. They feel like nobody gets them. And yet, God says to us, with me, you will overcome. When I'm in you and you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. You'll overcome. You will, you will be victorious. You'll be more than a conqueror because Jesus has already overcome. John 16, it tells that we also will overcome. 1 John 5, 45 says, <clears throat> Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, yours and my faith. So who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You can overcome the things in your life, the temptations, the struggles, the fears, the anxieties, the, the, the things that would come at you like a, like a flaming dart just, just coming at you, ready to consume you. You can overcome those 
with Jesus within. You can overcome those by saying, you know what, Lord, I'm going to count it all joy because what you're working in my life is for your glory. Lord, I I consider myself blessed that even though I can't see the outcome yet, I know that you're working. I consider myself blessed because I have seen many miracles. And I know that, Lord, in all of these things, you are working that I'm ready for judgment day. In all of these things, you are working so I'm ready for judgment day. Romans 8, 37 In all these things, in life and in death, we will overwhelmingly conquer through him who loves us. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So here's what I want to say to you in closing. What are you stressed out about? What are you frustrated with? What are you angry about at yourself or others? What do you have a lack in your life in? In God, all these things will be looked after, provided. All these things will be worked out, redeemed. All these things will be blessed and and anointed of God in Him. Not apart from Him, not working on our own, not applying a little more elbow grease, but in Him we can overcome. Scripture says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But you can't have the blood of the Lamb and not the testimony. If you don't have a testimony that God himself is your God, that Jesus himself is your Savior, that the Spirit himself is your helper, then then you can say, yes, he died on the cross and I believe that his blood was enough. But if you can't say, I have a testimony that he's mine, then when you face hardships, you're facing them alone. Here's a harsh reality for all of us. Did you know that the promises in the Bible were not made to everybody? The promises in the Bible are made to his children. The promises of blessings, the promises of overcoming, the promises of deliverance, those are made to his children, to those who obey. The only assurances that we have if we are disobedient or selfish or self-preserving, the only assurances we have is that trouble will come and judgment will come. I'm not here to make us feel good and I'm not here to put a guilt trip on us. I'm here to share the gospel that what's coming is a judgment day and what's coming is hardship. But what you can have is the blessing and the promises of God if you'll accept and believe and receive.